0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Nero Wolfe is a fictional character, a brilliant, oversized, eccentric armchair detective created in 1934 by American mystery writer Rex Stout. Now, Wolf was born in Montenegro and keeps his past murky. He lives in a luxurious brownstone on West 35th Street in New York City and is loath to leave his home for business or anything that would keep him from reading his books, tending his orchids, or eating the gourmet meals prepared by his chef Fritz Brenner. Archie Goodwin, Wolf's sharp-witted, dapper, young, confidential assistant with an eye for attractive women narrates the cases and does the legwork for the detective genius. Stout published 33 novels and 41 novellas and short stories featuring Wolf from 1934 to 1975, with most of them being set in New York City. And although the Nero Wolf stories take place contemporaneously with their writing and depict a changing landscape in society... The principal characters do not age. And according to a memo prepared by Rex Stout in 1949, Nero Wolfe's age is 56, although this is not directly stated in the stories. He said those stories have ignored time for 39 years. He mentioned this to his authorized biographer, John McClear. Any reader who can't or won't do the same should skip them. I didn't age the characters because I didn't want to. That would have made it cumbersome and would seem to have centered attention on the characters rather than the stories. According to the same memo, Wolf's height is five foot eleven, and his weight is 272 pounds. But Archie Goodwin, the narrator of the stories, frequently describes Wolf as weighing a seventh of a ton, or 285 pounds. And now, tonight's episode entitled, The Malevolent Medic.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell brings you Mystery Adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking.
3: Who? Mr. Hal Horton, United Industries? Oh, I see. Well, I must warn you, Mr. Horton, Mr. Wolf doesn't take kindly to big industrialists. Says their great wealth upsets his digestion. Why do you want to see him? The connection's bad. I don't hear you. Who? Who? Mr. Horton, who?
4: Hmm,
2: we're cut off.
5: What is it, Mr. Goodwin? Mr. Hal Horton called. I understand that. I won't see him. Tell him what money I have to invest I put into orchid plants.
3: Mr. Horton wasn't promoting anything.
5: And what did he call you for? The great Horton needs a
3: detective. Maybe just my occupational reflex, but I thought he said somebody had been murdered. <laughs> It turned out that what Horton had said had been murder, which became celebrated in the case of the malevolent medic. But its solution wasn't a simple matter of following up his accusation. It had false clues mixed all through it like raisins in a pudding. The man we came to know as the malevolent medic was young Dr. Benjamin Sloan. The case began on the sunny afternoon when Grace Banks, his nurse, came into his private office. Oh, waiting room's finally empty, I take it.
6: Well, There's one more patient, darling. I'm sorry, doctor.
3: Hmm.
6: Mrs. Horton's here for another of the thymine chloride shots you ordered
3: for. I said you could give her those, Grace. She doesn't have to wait to see me.
6: Oh, she's hung up her mink coat, parked her orchid and her alligator bag, and filled up all the ashtrays with lipstick cigarette stubs. Mrs. Horton prefers to wait for you. She seems very upset.
3: I hoped she'd get hold of herself.
6: Mrs. Hal Horton with all that money. Whatever gives her such jitters? <laughs> Darling, if I ever get in that condition after we're married, please shoot me.
3: I've advised her to go to a specialist. Hers isn't a true medical case. Well, I'll do what I can. Get a needle ready, will you, Grace? And show Mrs. Horton in.
6: Yes, darling. I mean doctor. (laughs) Mrs. Horton, will you step in now?
7: Been in that waiting room for hours. Ben, I wrote you every day this week. Why didn't you answer me? You
3: say your health hasn't improved, Leslie. I'm worse. Much worse. Still chain smoking? Drinking? And the sleeping pills?
7: I have to take something. I can't walk the floor all night, can I? Thinking, thinking. Why
3: are you so unhappy, Leslie? You have what you always said you wanted. Money, clothes, excitement. You have the right to say that.
7: But don't. Please don't.
3: I'm only pointing out facts you should face. I told you from the beginning you need a nerve specialist.
7: I need you. Nobody else can help me at all.
3: Leslie, you went over this the last time you were here and in all those letters you've been sending. Now, let's cross it off for good, shall we? Don't talk like that. You don't mean I'm it. no longer a lovesick dope, and you're the wife of one of the biggest industrialists in the country.
7: Yes, Hal Horton. I despise him. He thinks his money makes him God. He thinks he can buy anything that he bought me. It made me think I was getting the world with a fence around it. Everything I want is on the other side of that fence.
3: You don't know what you do want.
7: I want us the way we used to be, happy and love, together.
3: Leslie, please be quiet. Why? Miss Banks is in the laboratory. She
8: can hear you.
7: What of it? I'm not ashamed. I'll tell her. I'll tell everybody. Imagine Hal's face when he finds out I'm leaving him. But I'm coming back to you. He already knows about you. I told him you were in love with me, that you're jealous. He doesn't like you. Leslie, you're raving. Now stop it. You always said I was the most attractive woman in the world. You made your choice. Now get this into
3: your head. I'm really in love now. In a few weeks, I'm going to be married. Now I'll get your
7: medicine. So it's really true. You are going to be
3: married. Yes.
7: I would heard it, but I didn't believe it. Going to marry a nurse. All my friends have known and no had been laughing at me. Please, now that's enough. I made a plan, a wonderful, beautiful plan about us. Ben, you love me. Ben, say you love me.
3: Mrs. Horton, that is all over.
7: You don't love me.
3: No longer. You're here as my patient, and that's all. After this treatment, I must ask you to get another doctor.
7: A wonderful, beautiful plan for us. And now she threatens to step in and spoil it. Well, maybe I'll spoil a few plans. How would you like that?
3: Threats will accomplish nothing.
7: I can ruin things for you, Ben. All those fancy ideas of yours about having a fine practice, being a great doctor. Do you want to give those up? I can arrange it so that maybe there won't be any wonderful future for you. Are you prepared to face that possibility, Ben? because I'm prepared to make it a reality. And I mean it. You'll regret this day as long as you live.
3: I'll get your medicine, Mrs. Horton.
7: Hand me my bag. Thank you. Oh, I hate you, Ben. I hate you both. you. <laughs>
3: Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mrs. Horton. Miss Banks had to do a repair job before she could use the sterilizer. Alcohol, Miss Banks?
6: Yes, Dr. Sloan. Now, Mrs. Horton, may I help? Thanks. So nice of you. There. Right side for the hypo this time, isn't it? Just touch with this cotton. Ready now, doctor. (laughs) Oh, I... I... What's the matter, Mrs. Horton? (sighs) I'm, I'm just cold. Alcohol.
3: After this, I advise you to go home and rest. These massive doses are a little painful, but they give results... There. That's all. Just relax here and you can leave in ten minutes. Come, Miss Banks. I want to talk to you.
7: Doctor! Doctor! I... I feel sick. I feel very sick.
3: You might as well stop acting. I
7: can't get up. My feet, Ben!
6: Look at her. Something's happened. Hysteria. No, a face. Oh! And she's falling. Mrs.
3: Horton, hold on to me. I've got you. Hold her up. Leslie, what is it? Pain. Terrible pain. Where? What from? Yes, Grace. Get a card from the files. I I want to study it. From the first day Mrs. Horton came here.
6: What was it, Ben? What happened to her?
3: Symptoms are of a heart condition from which it seems the patient has just expired. Then you must call her husband. Grace, did you hear me?
6: Yes, Dr. Sloan.
5: Well, I discourage your visit here, Mr. Horton. I do have a sort of curiosity about the operation of so-called big business. Maybe offer you a glass of beer and hear an explanation of the rise and fall of this morning's stock market.
9: You don't think I've come here socially? I wish to engage your services for... Not
5: available.
3: You're a detective, aren't you?
5: Specializing in cases that interest me.
3: Sherry, Mr. Horton? I don't need it, thank you. But Mr. Wolf says he specializes in cases that... Interest. I've just
9: got here. I haven't told my story. I don't believe you even know who I am.
5: Oh, yes, we do. We do indeed. A millionaire. Did
9: I offend you by speaking of a
5: fee? No, on the contrary. It is that portion of your conversation which interested me most. Frankly, I planned to spend the evening examining the first edition of Henry James. I'd like to purchase. And the word fee suggested a possible way. Now, what have you done, sir? What have I done? (laughs) One doesn't have to be a detective to recognize you're in trouble, Mr. Horton. Look, Mr. Wolfe, I have done
9: nothing. But I've got a question I've got to have answered. I need facts. They tell me you're the man
3: who can give them to me. If Nero Wolfe can't get them for you, they're not facts. They're fancies, Mr. Horton. My story's involved.
5: But the gist of it is uh, your beautiful wife, a former model, died last week. The death certificate indicated a heart attack. You suggest she was murdered. How did you know? Never mind how I came to my conclusions. How did you come to yours?
9: Leslie had been going to a Dr. Benjamin Sloan. She said he was a specialist. Some friend had recommended. She'd been upset. He was giving her vitamin B shots, she told me.
5: You doubt that was true.
9: Dr. Sloan informed me uh, after she died in his office uh, there'd been a heart condition from the beginning. Well, I don't believe it. Leslie was a very emotional girl. She'd have been quite frightened of a heart ailment. She'd have told me about it.
5: Maybe she didn't comprehend its seriousness.
9: Dr. Sloan did. Why didn't he get in touch with me at once about it? Then, when I went to clear up Leslie's room, I discovered something. Leslie didn't go to Sloan through a friend. She'd known him when she was a model and he was a hospital intern. She'd kept letters he'd written to her then. Love letters.
5: Indeed. Mm-hmm.
9: Well, doesn't that give you an idea, Mr. Wolfe? Sloan lost Leslie to me. No man who'd been in love with Leslie would ever get over it. Would a man be jealous enough, kill a woman he loved rather than have her belong to another man?
5: An interesting theory, Mr. Horton, one frequently advanced in fiction. Shall we investigate and see how it works out in fact?
9: Ah, you'll take the case then.
5: The intricacies of the feminine nature are challenging if you do not have to come in contact with the creatures. The uh, practical research in such matters I leave to Mr. Goodwin here. It is the field in which he specializes. But it's you I want. Our method of operation is not under your control, Mr. Horton. You'll be so kind, Archie. Get a first-hand report of Dr. Benjamin Sloan and the women in his life. Just came to ask a few routine
3: questions, Dr. Sloan. I don't understand your interest in the Horton case, Mr. Goodwin, is it? That's right. The death certificate was signed and a report made to the medical inspector. Detectives are a snoopy lot. Detectives? Are you from the police department? No, I'm employed to note some details before we close up the Leslie Horton estate. Sudden deaths have to be double-checked. I'm afraid I can't add a thing to what I've already reported. Well, thanks for seeing me anyhow. Been a pleasant visit. Ever have a patient die in your office before, Dr. Sloan? No, but I've seen similar cases in the hospital, of course. Was Mrs. Horton warned about her heart condition, Dr. Sloan? I discussed her case with her fully and frankly. And her husband wasn't Mr. Horton alarmed? He didn't know. Mrs. Horton's ailment was, well, not to bore a layman with medical details, was not a fatal one necessarily. She might have gone on for years. Just played in bad luck, huh? The worst. Mm-hmm. When would you first meet her? Several weeks ago. And you saw her how many times? It's all on the record. She was nervous. I prescribed thiamine chloride. Her medical report card shows that. You read it for yourself. Well, I guess that's all, Dr. Sloan. Won't bother you further. Miss Banks will show you out.
6: Yes, Dr. Sloan?
3: Well, sort of a modern Aladdin arrangement, isn't it? Wish I could press a buzzer and have a beautiful girl like you appear. Mr. Goodwin is leaving.
6: Well, this way, Mr. Goodwin. You can use the side door. The waiting room's full of patients.
3: So long, doctor.
6: Mm -hmm. This way through the lab. There's a door from it into the corridor.
3: Cozy place, all those bottles. I suppose there's enough stuff in here to kill an army.
6: To cure one.
3: Miss Banks, may I say that you're the kind of a nurse that patients dream about? Make it a pleasure to go to a hospital. Blonde hair, blue eyes, winkers an inch long. Are they real?
6: If you'll excuse me.
3: Who do I have to come down with to persuade you to take care of me, huh?
6: I don't take cases. I'm a technician. Good day, Miss. So
3: you work just for Dr. Sloan? It's too bad the way he's involved in this Horton case looks serious.
6: Mrs. Horton simply died of a heart attack in Dr. Sloan's office.
3: If you wanted to help your boss, Miss Banks, you'd stop rushing around and answer a few questions.
6: I'm sure Dr. Sloan gave you the necessary information.
3: Guess he doesn't realize the trouble he's in. If you can supply any details that'll change the picture, you'll be doing him a great favor. He's a nice guy. I want to help.
6: What is there to say?
3: The report... Let's get it in your own words. Just what really happened here that day?
6: Well... Dr. Sloan gave Mrs. Horton the vitamin B shot. That was routine. Mm-hmm. But she didn't get up afterward. She said she was sick. And then she fell and I caught her.
3: And Dr. Sloan administered emergency treatment. What did that consist of, Miss Bank?
6: All that is in the office record.
3: What would bring on such an attack? It could have been several things. Could it have been something she ate? Acute indigestion affects the heart. Maybe Mrs. Horton would be here now if the doctor thought to use a stomach pump.
6: He did use one did everything there was time to do.
3: She certainly went in a hurry. Suffer a lot?
6: She said she was in pain.
3: Where? Her stomach?
6: No, not her stomach. Where then? She seemed to be in pain all over.
3: Reflex, maybe? When it was over, what did you do, Miss Banks?
6: Call Mr. Horton.
3: Must have been a blow to the great man. I understand she was younger than he is and quite a sultry gal. I've
6: talked to you professionally because you said it was necessary to help Dr. Sloan. Is that all, Mr. Goodwin?
3: I guess it is for now. Unless you'll have dinner with me. Thank you, no. I'm handsome, hardworking, and harmless. I'll bring you references from my employer. What do you say?
6: The express elevator's the one on the right.
3: Must be there's another man. Wouldn't be the doctor, would it? Well, you'll fit better in a Pullman kitchen than here among the test tubes at that. My reluctant congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. The verdict, Innocent as lambs, both Sloan and the nurse. Evidence to prove it? My unfailing sensibilities, not the murderer type. Nice couple, doctor and the nurse. I suspect they're engaged. She's so much in love with him, I could have been you, and she wouldn't have known the difference.
5: Very flattering.
3: Records? The usual medical record, Mrs. Horton's first visit, symptoms, subsequent visits. Here are the notes on it.
5: Hmm. Vitamin B shots. No chance they brought this on, huh?
3: Dr. Sloan says absolutely not. I checked that with other doctors. But Mrs. Horton did go into this right after the hypo.
5: Nurse's story jives with Sloan's?
3: Mm-hmm. A little more detailed. She says he did everything. He even used a stomach pump.
5: The woman was in pain? What's this? Head to feet? My way of saying pain all over. What other papers did you
3: examine? Only the medical record.
5: Get back to Sloan's office late tonight and examine all the papers
3: in his desk. Can't you trust me? I tell you, there's no reason even to suspect these two.
5: When you have one of your adolescent's infatuations on, blood dripping from a dagger in a girl's hand would look to you like crushed rose petals. With this grace bangs out of the way, maybe you can recognize evidence. Uh,
3: Sounds like a long, bleak evening.
5: Hand me that medical book and then be on your way. I want to think.
3: Good evening, Mr. Goodwin. Oh, good evening, Dr. Sloan. This is a surprise to us both. I didn't anticipate that you'd be keeping office hours after midnight. What are you doing in my office at two o'clock in the morning, Mr. Goodwin? Reading your mail and having a ghoulish time surrounded by all these shiny instruments of yours. You've been rifling my desk. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I put things back very neatly, even the letters from this little secret compartment, which isn't secret at all to anybody who knows about desks. I've kept only Give one. Give me that. Easy let- It's the, my darling, mine first, shan't ever give you up one way or another one. You remember? I'll bet that nice little nurse you're engaged to never wrote that, did she? What do you intend to do with it? Mark it Exhibit A in the Horton murder case. Maybe you'd like to come with me and explain it to Nero Wolfe.
5: Very moving, very flattering, very interesting, if you like women. But also very incriminating, Dr. Sloan. What does it
3: prove? A silly woman with a nervous breakdown? Imagine she was infatuated with me.
5: A woman who is now dead, you must remember. Under, shall we say, unusual circumstances. You signed a death certificate which stated Mrs. Horton died of a heart attack. As you signed it, Dr. Sloan, did you remember she had threatened you... An even sigh of relief that fate had done you such a good turn? I didn't bear Leslie any ill will. I was
3: sorry for her.
5: You felt adequate to the situation. You called no other doctor, though there are several in your building.
3: My first thought, of course, was that it was some extraordinary allergic reaction to the vitamin dose.
5: It was not until an hour or two after she was dead you decided she expired from a heart attack. Yes. How did you explain the pain? I...
3: I reported no pain. Miss Banks said Mrs. Horton had pain from her head to her feet. Grace said that? Well, not in those words, but that was the general idea. Dr. I...
5: Sloan, why did you use a stomach pump on a heart case?
3: Why, I, I, I told you I tried everything, sometimes an acute digestive disturbance.
5: I suggest you did it because to you, as to any qualified physician, the pain in the feet suggested poisoning, a particular kind of poison, an inorganic
3: poison. Mm. There wasn't any in her stomach.
5: You maintain that? Archie, get the medical examiner on the phone. Tell him the body of Miss Hal Horton must be examined for any evidence of poisoning.
3: I know you think Mrs. Horton was murdered, but it's impossible. There'd been no one near her.
5: Miss Banks?
3: Miss Banks couldn't have done it. She was working with me constantly.
5: That's what I thought you'd say, Dr. Sloan.
6: if I had to see you. This is the most dreadful thing I've ever heard of. Trying to accuse Dr. Sloane of murdering a patient.
5: It appears he had a reason to want Mrs. Horton dead, Miss Banks. She was that thing the poets write about, a woman's scorn. She had sent him this hysterical letter threatening scandal if he rejected her, he couldn't control her. She kept coming back to his office making scenes. He
6: gave her nothing but thymine chloride. I know, I fixed the shop myself.
5: Don't start covering
3: for
6: her I'm not. I tell you, I'd fill the needle. And I didn't put anything but thymon chloride in it. You haven't any reason to think anybody did, except for that letter you stole. If it wasn't for that letter... Give it to me. Give it
5: to me. Come on, R.G., quick. Now, drop
3: it, baby. Come away from that fireplace. Why, you little tiger, kitten! I didn't think you had it, did you? Come on, let go of it. Oh, no, no. Let go. Give it to Papa. Now, look what you did. You almost got Nero Wolf out of his
5: chair. Destroying evidence is a serious offense, young woman. She kept
6: going to the office, writing him, and pestering him. I heard her from the laboratory.
5: You read her letters too, didn't you? You knew if something didn't stop her, Dr. Benjamin Sloan was a ruined man.
6: But he didn't kill her. I know he didn't.
5: I don't believe he did. You,
6: you don't? Well, then
5: who? You've just provided an excellent motive for having done it yourself, Miss Banks. White wine, cold, luscious, exotic.
3: Excellent, Fritz, excellent. Best thing that's happened today. I don't like this Sloan case. If you ask me, I think Ed Horton Dane got what was coming to it.
5: Those are not the words of abstract justice, nor the phrases of a gentleman of culture. A good detective never plays favorites. Good night's rest, and you will find your attitude more normal by morning.
3: You expect to have this case solved by morning?
5: It's solved now. Thanks to the expedition I sent you on this afternoon The arrests can wait, no one will escape
3: I feel like a murderer myself If I hadn't wormed it out of grace about the Horton woman complaining of pain And if you hadn't jumped at the word feet
5: That, Archie, my dear fellow, is the purpose for which you exist To discover pertinent facts Have we quite finished? Copy in the study, then
3: Here's the door, I'll go Mr. Wolf in. He isn't seeing anyone this evening, Mr. Horton. Well,
5: he's seeing me. Archie, if that's Mr. Horton, I'll see him. You'd better. Sorry you found Mr. Goodwin so impossible, Mr. Horton. He, uh, He came to pay you a call this afternoon. I sent him, but he didn't find you in, did you, Archie?
3: No, but I made myself at home. I knew anything that would help to solve this case you'd want us to have. What do you mean? You were in my house? What did you take?
5: Nothing of monetary value, I assure you. that will not be returned in due course. But before I announce the solution of a case, I like to have all my little props in place. I appreciate a well-rounded performance.
9: Mr. Wolf, I've had enough of this foolishness, this, this delay. I hired you to convict Sloan, not to play parlor games.
5: You must be patient, Mr. Horton. Don't force me. I want action. Well, I had planned to wait until the morning, but if you insist... These papers here may interest you, Mr. Horton. Mr. Goodwin here collects them, your wife's letters. Leslie's? You recognize the script? These are addressed to Dr. Sloan. Do they uh, They prove anything against him? The lady's correspondence should be kept private. This other letter, however, was sent to you. To, to me?
9: Leslie's? What, what, give it to me. Easy, Horton, easy. Don't grab. Oh, but that letter's mine. You stole it from my desk.
5: There is a point in a case, Mr. Horton, where letters cease to be personal property and become evidence. What
9: evidence can that letter provide?
3: It seems you had reason for wanting to kill your wife, Mr. Horton. A man can get annoyed by a note saying his wife never loved him, that all his money isn't enough, and that she's going to another man. You accusing me of murder? It could have been the perfect crime. Poisoning one of those pills she was forever taking, or on the tip of the cigarette she chain smoked, and a doctor's office to die in. If you hadn't been fool enough to try to pin it on Sloan, you might have gotten away with it. If I had known while she was alive what
9: Leslie was, I might have done anything. But that letter you stole from me was one she left under my pillow. I didn't find it until after she was dead. I didn't kill her. Sloan did.
5: You hired me to prove that, Mr. Horton. Suppose you let me go about my business?
3: Nero Wolfe's office. Yeah? Oh, you did? Good boy. We'll expect you. I'll tell Mr. Wolf at once. Medical examiner's officer, just as you thought, they found poison in the body. Listen to me. Inspector Kramer's picking up Dr. Sloan and Grace. They'll be here any minute. Kramer's set to make an arrest. I told you. The police know it's Sloan.
5: Put the letters in Mrs. Horton's bag on my desk, Archie. Leslie's alligator bag? You stole that from my house this afternoon, too. Those things are mine. Inspector Kramer wanted to take them with him. But
9: well, you think I want it made public what Leslie did to me?
3: Kramer can't have them. Maybe the inspector will want to take you too, Mr. Horton.
5: Let them in, Archie.
3: Come in, Inspector Kramer. Oh. Dr. Sloan, Miss Banks. Good Wolf asked me to bring them here first before I locked anybody up. Mrs. Horton was murdered, all right. I'm sending a man for Horton, too. You won't have to. Mr. Horton's waiting here to join the party. Come into Mr. Wolf's office.
5: Good evening, Inspector. Good evening, Wolf. Uh, will you all please range yourselves around the room as I indicate? Miss Banks here. Dr. Sloan, Mr. Horton. Archie, you stand between the two men, if you please.
6: Mr. Wolf, this is a dreadful mistake.
5: I swear the doctor didn't... Stop thinking about the doctor. What about you? If you're accusing Miss Banks,
3: I might as well tell all you Hold Dr. Sloan. From here on, anything you say will be held against you. That's what I want. Let Grace go home and well,
9: I'll... For say... heaven's sake, why don't you arrest the man? Isn't it obvious he's guilty? You and your trumped-up charges against me.
5: I'll do the talking now, Mr. Horton. Mrs. Horton died from a certain inorganic poisoning. Poison administered in your office, Dr. Sloan, with a hypo syringe.
3: Let's get it over with. I gave her the hypo.
10: But I feel the needle. There you are. They're both guilty.
5: we would solve the case if they weren't lying. Miss Banks believes Dr. Sloan killed Leslie for her sake. Dr. Sloan thinks Miss Banks put poison in the hypo to save him from professional ruin. They're trying to protect each other fact is, the hyper they gave was perfectly harmless. It did not kill Mrs. Horton. Well, then what did? Mrs. Horton came to your office in desperation, Dr. Sloan. But she came prepared for the worst. You see this handbag? Can any of you identify it? Yes.
6: It, it's hers.
5: Is it Mr. Horton? It's Leslie's. The bag she carried to the office the day she died. Open it, Archie. You will see it contains her changed purse, billfold, cigarette case, matches, her handkerchief, nothing more. That is, not unless you look closely. Then you will observe this lining has a double fold. A secret compartment. Exactly. We open it this way, and there we find it. A hypodermic needle with which the unhappy woman committed suicide. Miss Banks, Dr. Sloan, you can stop protecting one another. Mr. Horton, the world need never know you were a betrayed husband. Mrs. Horton killed herself while in a confused state following a mental breakdown. The case of the malevolent medic is closed. How did you ever get the hunch about
3: the handbag, Mr. Wolfe?
5: I know nothing about women. But on my occasional trips abroad, I have been forced to observe their handbags. Monstrosities. They hold anything and everything.
3: (laughs) Now that our guests have gone, Fritz is bringing coffee to the study. Would you like some beer?
5: I believe I would. Somehow I feel I've earned it.
3: Ah, here you are
5: Poor fellow, I'm very sorry for you How so? This is one case in which there is no falsely accused Unattached young lady for you to squire about (laughs) Well, here's to your better luck next time
2: You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. The Night's Transcribed Story by Ruth Adams Knight was based on the characters created by Rex Stout, This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Harry Bartell as Archie Goodwin and Gene Bates, Vic Perrin, Bruce Payne, Bill Johnstone and Mary Lansing. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Hasty Will. Don Stanley speaking. Chimes mean good times on NBC. There's music and mystery for you every Saturday evening on NBC. For music tomorrow, your hit parade brings you the top tunes of the land with Snooky Lanson, Eileen Wilson, and Raymond Scott's orchestra. And for mystery, Herbert Marshall stars as the man called X, a man in search of adventure who travels wherever there is intrigue, danger, and romance. More good
1: mystery at Sam Spade next on NBC. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks, next on Theatre of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden to star as Connie Brooks, English teacher at Madison High.
10: The sponsors of the Our Miss Brooks program, which follows immediately, wish to congratulate Mrs. Ray Thiel on winning the $49,000 first prize in the Colgate Palmolive Peat Company's 49er Gold Rush Contest. Mrs. Thiel, Secretary to Mayor Richard J. Marks of Norwich, Connecticut, Experienced the thrill of a lifetime when two armored car drivers strolled into her office and dumped $49,000 in $1 bills on her desk. The complete story will appear in Look Magazine's August 16th issue, which reaches the newsstands August 2nd. Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden.
11: Most principals are quite strict when it comes to punctuality among faculty members. But our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High Summer School, has always believed that her principal, Osgood Conklin, is overly severe.
8: I could never understand why Mr. Conklin had such a passion for promptness until one day I learned that he was born at 5 o'clock in the morning and he's been early ever since. LAUGHTER Anyway, by last Thursday, I was determined to get to school on time if I had to stay up all Wednesday night to do it. Promptly at 6.30 Thursday morning, my alarm clock went off. Having been up all Wednesday night, I ignored it. (laughs) Then the phone rang in the hall, and knowing that my landlady, Mrs. Davis, was back in the kitchen, I sprang lightly out of bed and glided to the phone. Ouch! Ouch! Hello?
12: Hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Conklin. Are you up?
8: Sort of. What can I do for you, Mr. Conklin? Two
12: things, Miss Brooks. You can arrive at school promptly at 8 this morning, and once you get there, I want your promise that you'll concentrate on teaching English to your class instead of learning biology from Mr. Boynton.
8: Uh Why, Mr. Conklin, one would think that Mr. Boynton and I...
12: Yes, wouldn't one? (laughs) I think you should know, Miss Brooks, that the president of the Board of Education is back from his vacation.
8: Mr. Stone?
12: Yes, and he's already chewed me out, complained to me about the lack of... (laughs) In our summer sessions, teachers taking time off for vacations, getting married, having children, Why, you teachers are acting more and more like...
8: Like... Human beings?
12: <laughs> don't be egotistical. <laughs> now, I'm warning you, Miss Brooks, if you don't stop fraternizing during school hours, I don't see how I can remain the same considerate, even-tempered, kindly superior you've all grown to admire. But, <laughs> well,
4: uh, Mr. Conklin, so I... That's
12: all for now. Just get on the ball, Miss Brooks. And when you get on it, see that you stay
8: on it! What does he think I am, a seal? Get on the ball No fraternization
13: Good morning, Connie Oh, good morning, Mrs. Davis Who was that on the phone? Mr.
8: Conklin Oh, how is Osgood these days? Horrible, thanks (laughs) He's getting more unreasonable every day You have no idea how fed up I'm getting with his dictatorial nonsense You wouldn't have to take any of it, Connie If you had some
13: other job you could go to Some other job? Yes You weren't born a teacher, were you? No, it just seems that way. (laughs) Weren't you once secretary to a mayor, Norwich, of Marks, Connecticut? No,
8: but I was secretary to Mayor Marks of Norwich, Connecticut. That's right nearby.
13: Now there was a swell boss. Well, Connie, I've got a big surprise for you. You may be able to get your old job back just by calling him up. What? I just read where his present secretary won $49,000 in the 49er Gold Rush Contest. That's the contest put on by, um, um... Some uh, big soap company, wasn't it? (laughs) Yes, I I think it was. So
8: much for living dangerously. Who won Colgate Palmolive Pete's Contest? (laughs)
4: A Mrs. Ray Thiel
13: Mrs. Ray Thiel Mrs. Ray Thiel She's the woman who's working for your old boss, Mayor Marks With all that money, she'll probably quit her job at once. Well, what has that got to do with me, Mrs. Davis? Don't you see, Connie, if you'll just give him a call, Mayor Marks may offer you the position again. But I don't know if I want to go back to Connecticut, Mrs. Davis. You don't have to accept the offer, Connie. But once he knows you can work elsewhere, Mr. Conklin's attitude will be entirely different. Now, go ahead, Connie. Call Mayor Marks immediately.
8: Oh, but... You don't have to pay me for the call until next month. Well, if that's the case It will be nice to chat with his honor again I wonder if he'll remember me uh, Go ahead, Connie, with the receiver All right, Mrs. Davis
14: So I just told her right out Bertha. I said if we weren't such old friends I wouldn't open my yap like this But even though I haven't seen
8: you in years Excuse me It's our party line Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe it's just as well, Mrs. Davis I'd feel a little silly if Mayor Marks didn't even know who I was. But you said you got
13: along fine with him, Connie. Now, don't be silly. You try again in a minute. I'll clear off
8: the breakfast dishes. Well, that must be Walter Denton. He's giving me a lift to school. Hiya, Miss Brooks. Come in, Walter. As you can see, I'm not quite ready to
15: leave the house. Oh, that's all right, Miss Brooks. We got time. Besides, I know plenty of women who'd give anything to look as good wearing an expensive dress as you look in that beat-up, crummy old bathrobe.
8: (laughs) Well, thank you, Walter, I think. (laughs) Sit down for a minute, won't you? Here, read this Look magazine. I'm trying to place a long-distance call. Long-distance to who? An ex-boss of mine. I'll tell you all about it after I talk to him.
14: So then I said, look, Bertha, Duncan Gainsborough just ain't your type of fellow. That's when she tried to stop me. Grace, she says to me, I've always been your friend. Excuse
8: me for interrupting, Grace,
14: but That's I- all right, Bertha. <laughs> I know this is your problem, but before you marry this man, you've got to... Bertha, what are you doing on this line? I was
8: talking to Elsie. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to get Agnes. <laughs> We've got the busiest party line in town. I guess I'd better get ready now, Walter. If you'll excuse me oh, a Oh, well, before I'll... you go, Miss Brooks, there's something I'd like to ask
15: you. Can't you wait and ask me in class, Walter? Oh, no, ma'am. My question has nothing to do with English. The question is Is a man who Because his daughter Happens to be in love With a certain other Young fellow Than who he might choose If he had to say so Over this girl Entitled to constantly Kick this young fellow
8: From pillar to post You're right, Walter Your question has Nothing to do with English <laughs> But I gather You're talking about Your stormy romance With Harriet Conklin Exactly, Miss Brooks You know how fond
15: I am of Harriet And because of this fondness I've tried to be patient And understanding But now I've come to a conclusion. Yes? Mr. Conklin has got to go. (laughs) It isn't that I mind his treating me like dirt so much. It's a dirty way he does it. How do you combat a tyrant like that? Or how do you avoid him? Honestly, if I were five or six years older, I'd leave Madison High.
8: You may be seven years older before you graduate, you know. But I know how you feel, Walter. I've been thinking of changing jobs myself changing jobs. What other kind of a job would you be good for? (laughs) What a nice way of calling me the ideal teacher. (laughs) Before I'm led to the glue factory, Walter, I can go back to work as a secretary in Norwich, Connecticut. Mayor Marks can probably use me right now. Gee, Norwich, Connecticut. Oh, but what about Mr. Boynton? You wouldn't want to leave him, would you? I might not have to. As secretary to the mayor, I might be able to wangle a transfer for Mr. Boynton. He could teach there.
15: Oh, that's right. They do have biology in Connecticut, don't they?
8: <laughs> in one form or another, they must. <laughs> now, you better get on to school without me this morning. I've got to try that call again. Yeah, but you'll be late, Miss Brooks. What about Mr. Ooh, Conklin? <laughs> Mr. Ooh, Conklin will just have to wait. You know, I'm beginning to feel strangely liberated, and I like it. Connecticut is beautiful at this time of the year. Gee, we're going to miss you, Miss Brooks.
15: I'll miss you too, Walter. Well, I guess I'll be going now. Be sure and write, won't you, Miss Brooks?
8: Of course I will.
15: Goodbye, Miss Brooks.
8: Bye, Walter. It'll be good to see Mayor Marks again. I wonder how he looks. Well, Connie, did you place your call yet? No, Mrs. Davis, the party line's been in use.
13: Well, you better get dressed and go to school now, Connie. I'll call the mayor for you and let you
8: know what happened right after I talk to him. All right, Mrs. Davis, but before I go, I'll try it once more. So I says, Bertha, I says, well, you've been so busy in the office. How did you ever find time to have a baby? Believe me, Grace, while you've been on the phone, Bertha could not have had triplets. <laughs>
11: Well, when Walter Denton left Miss Brooks, he was convinced that she had a job waiting for her in Norwich, Connecticut. Arriving at school, the first person he ran into was Harriet Conklin. After hearing the news, the first person she ran into was her father, Madison's beloved principal, Osgood Conklin.
16: So you see, Daddy, Miss Brooks is practically set in this new job.
12: But she can't leave now. Mr. Stone's back from his vacation. Only yesterday he was chewing complaining about absenteeism. (laughs) First, our music teacher, Mrs. Jensen, trots off to visit her sick mother. Then Mr. LeBlanche needs an operation and fritters a week away in the hospital.
16: (laughs) But that's not your fault, Daddy.
12: I'm afraid the head of the board doesn't agree with you, Harriet. You should have heard Mr. Stone yesterday. He actually threatened me.
16: What did he say, Daddy?
12: He said he'd he'd have me pounding a beat in Brooklyn. (laughs) When Miss Brooks leaves, he may even investigate some of the wild rumors flying around this school that I'm a, a... Tyrant? Thank you, my dear. <laughs> if he decides to invite... What do you mean, tyrant? I've always tempered my power with justice.
16: Look, Daddy, I know you mean well, but well, Miss Brooks is like a thoroughbred, tense and high-strung. You've got to give her her head sometimes.
12: I'd like to hand it to her on a plate sometime. <laughs> Don't you realize, Harriet, that you're asking me to be gentle with a woman who has single-handedly jacked up my blood pressure 25 points?
16: (laughs) But don't you see, Daddy, if you don't want her to leave, you've just got to be nicer to Miss Brooks.
12: Well, I'll think it over. Now, you get to her first class and give the students something to study. Miss Brooks is late for a change.
16: I'll take care of it right away, Daddy, and when she does get here... When
5: she does get here, I'll Uh, uh,
16: uh, take... Remember Mr. Stone and Brooklyn. Goodbye, Daddy. Well, hello, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. Hey, do you think you should whistle so loudly, Miss Brooks? We're right outside Daddy's office, you know.
8: Harriet, I've got a little message for you. Whistling in the hall is just the first of a long and distinguished line of violations I've got planned for today. <laughs> This, in a word, is Independence Day for Constance Brooks. Look, Miss Brooks, please don't do anything until you've talked to Daddy. He's waiting to see you. Very well, dear. I'll toddle into his den for a moment.
12: Here I am, Miss Brooks, right over here. Oh, oh, I came as fast as I could. I thought you were whistling for me. (laughs) Now, about your being late today.
8: About? Being late today, so what?
12: Nothing, my dear. I just wanted you to know that I consider it extremely admirable of you to get here this early. After all, you must have hurried your breakfast terribly. What? Huh? Your... your health comes first, you know. You mustn't let your sense of duty or your proven loyalty to me upset your peace of mind.
8: Am I in the right school? is Madison High, isn't
12: it? Of course, my dear. And I am Madison's principal. Your principal, Miss Brooks, who prides himself above all things on his ability to ease the path for those members of his faculty, nay, his family, who are tired or run down. Huh <laughs> You... You may deny this, Miss Brooks, but you need a respite from your school duties. You still have a zest for living, an enthusiasm for things outside your work. I know you have. Oh, but I... Why, many's the day I've watched you from my office as the final bell rang and you left your classroom. How I chuckled as you galloped through the halls... (laughs) ...toward some cheery rendezvous with Mr. Boynton. It did these old eyes good to see you hurling the pupils to right and left... (laughs) Ah, oh, what a sight it was. Their little heads bobbing like ping-pong balls as you flailed at them with your handbag.
8: Now, just a minute, Mr. Carpenter. i I want
12: to rekindle that enthusiasm, Miss Brooks. That's why I insist that you take the morning off. Off? I must be.
0: <laughs>
12: I mean, run over to the gym, get yourself a bathing suit and take a nice sunbath. Then, when he's finished with his class, meet Mr. Boynton. Have a bit of lunch together, or go for a stroll around the campus. It'll do you a world of good. Well, what do you say?
8: I can only say what my dear old grandmother taught me to say at a time like this.
12: And what is that, Miss Brooks?
8: Never look a gift, Conklin, in the choppers. I'm off to the gym. (laughs) Mr. Boynton, but now that you've dismissed your class, I thought I'd say hello. Oh,
17: hello, Miss Brooks. I was just... Gosh.
8: Oh, Mr. Boynton, what are you blushing about?
17: You're in a bathing suit. i better turn around.
8: <laughs> oh, don't be so modest, Mr. Boynton. Turn around again and live a little. <laughs> have been taking a sunbath outside the gym, Mr. Boynton uh,
17: Please, Miss Brooks I consider sunbathing on school property highly irregular Now, now if I may change the subject
8: well, Why change the subject? What's so terrible about my wearing a bathing suit? You'll just turn around You'll see that this is a very modest little number Although it doesn't quite cover my knees <laughs>
17: <laughs> Well, all right, but I... Say, that, that looks stunning
8: I borrowed it from the domestic science teacher I'll bet this was a racy little job in the gay 90s. Uh, I like
17: old-fashioned bathing suits. Say, that one even has a bustle in the back, hasn't it?
8: No, and now you can change the subject. (laughs) Or better yet, why don't you change into a bathing suit and we'll go halfies on the sun? (laughs)
17: Well, I like the sun, Miss Brooks. But oh, you it's see, certainly
8: done wonders for me. When I came to school this morning, I was fit to be tied. But now I love the whole world. Why, I even love Mr. Conklin.
17: You've been in the sun too long, Miss Brooks. <laughs> that is, I'd like to join you. But you see, with two of our teachers temporarily out, Mr. Conklin's asked me to assume their duties in addition to my own.
8: But that isn't fair. Oh,
17: I'll be relieved pretty soon. It seems that one of our female teachers had some idea of working in Norwich, Connecticut. But Mr. Conklin's carrying on a campaign to keep her here.
8: A campaign?
17: Yes. It uh, it doesn't sound ethical to me, but he says that as soon as it's too late for her to get the job in Connecticut, he's going to work her like a horse. I wonder wonder who the teacher is.
8: (laughs) Miss Brooks, what do you mean by that? Just what I said No wonder he was so sweet to me this morning Take a sunbat, my dear Run over to see Mr. Boynton I'm glad I've got that other job waiting Make a workhorse out of me, will he? Miss Brooks, where are you going? I'm going to gallop over to Mr. Conklin's office And plow him under
12: Hello? Principal's office. Be brief, please.
13: (laughs) Hello, Osgood. This is Margaret Davis. Is Miss Brooks in her classroom?
12: Uh, No, no, Margaret, she isn't. I sent her out to take a little sunbath. Healthy teachers are happy teachers, I always say.
13: That's very considerate of you, Osgood. Would you give her a message for me when she comes in?
12: Of course. What is it?
13: Just tell her that I spoke with that party on the long-distance phone, and the whole thing is off.
12: That party? I'm afraid I don't understand.
13: I'm sorry, Osgood, but it's a highly confidential matter. After all, Miss Brooks wouldn't want everybody to know that the job she thought she could have had as mayor Mark's secretary in Norwich is being kept by Mrs. Theo. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, I'm afraid I've said too much. <laughs>
12: Not too much, Margaret. Just enough. Goodbye, my dear. But I... I said goodbye, landlady. (laughs) So, there's no job in Norwich at all. Well, maybe now our little whistling tea kettle will shut her spout for a while. Now, 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 Osgood, mustn't lose your temper. Remember the old blood pressure.
8: I've got something to say to you, Mr. Conklin.
12: Oh, you have? Have a seat, Miss Brooks.
8: Never mind the acting, Lionel. What I've got to say, I can say on my feet. Good.
12: Good. I've got something to say to you, too. But, of course, ladies first.
8: I'm afraid I'm not really a lady, Mr. Conklin. If I was, those words couldn't have occurred to me as I approached this office. Such as? Slave driver.
12: Mm-hmm. Bully. Yes.
8: Uh, ogre, uh, uh, uh...
12: How about tyrant?
8: Oh, by all means, tyrant. Tyrant. <laughs>
12: <laughs> Does that complete the list, Miss Brooks?
8: Temporarily, yes.
12: Fine. Now you can listen to my message. Miss Brooks, although you consider me a tyrant, I think you should know that I am a very special kind of tyrant. What do you mean? I happen to be Miss Brooks. The only tyrant you've got! Control <laughs> you yourself, Osgood, what's that pressure, boy? <laughs> you see, Miss Brooks, Mrs. Davis called while you were sunbathing on my time... To inform you that there is no job open in Connecticut.
8: No job open, but...
12: However, since you seem so fond of secretarial work, you can take these reports home and type them neatly in triplicate. And one more thing, Miss High and Mighty, don't you ever again dare to talk to me in the loud tone of voice you assumed this morning.
8: Is that clear? Yes, it is, Mr. Conklin. (laughs)
13: Well, that's half of it. I'm sorry you have all this extra work to do, Connie.
8: I can't help feeling it's my fault. Oh, it couldn't be helped, Mrs. Davis. I should have known Mrs. Thiel wouldn't give up her job just for a few measly $49,000. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor March was very nice on the phone, Connie. He said
13: that if any other desirable position came along, he'd let you know immediately. Oh,
8: I'm afraid he was just letting me down easy, Mrs. Davis. Oh, gosh. I'm
13: sleepy. Why don't you take a little nap, Connie? It'll make you feel much better. Here, sit down in this rocker.
8: Mm, thanks. This certainly feels good. You know, Mrs. Davis, sometimes I think I should never have left that job in Norwich. Why, I might have won that $49,000. If I'd stayed there longer, I might have gotten into politics. Mayor Marks will have to retire someday. and Who knows? I might even have become...
17: Your Honor, Mayor Brooks, I've got to talk to you at once. Of
8: course, Boynton. What is it?
17: As your personal bodyguard and constant companion, I insist that you hear this bulletin.
8: I'm listening, Boynton.
17: I love you, Your Honor. Love you madly, desperately, cruelly. Love you, do you hear?
8: Just through one ear. Better do a rebroadcast for the other one.
17: <laughs> oh, my darling, come out from behind that desk you so wonderful, so desirable. Come, let me hold you in my arms, Mayor, dear.
8: Just call me May. It sounds more feminine. <laughs> or
17: oh, perhaps you think me too bold. Maybe I should strive harder to control my passion. After all, yours is a position of trust. You're a high public official, the mayor of this city.
8: The mayor, yes, but I am also a woman.
17: And what a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me for baying at you, my sweet, but I, I just can't resist you. Put your
8: arms around me, my darling. But, Boynton, this is my office. Someone might see us.
17: Let them see us. I, I'd kiss you on the roof of the Chamber of Commerce. The steps of the City Hall are right on Main
11: Street.
8: Try my lips. There's less traffic there. <laughs> Wait. Wait a moment. What was that? What? I thought I heard panting outside my door.
17: Oh, that. That's just Alderman Conklin. He's been waiting to see you for eight days now. Really?
8: Really? Well, take off his leash and bring him in.
17: Yes, Your Honor. Hello, Your Honor. You're nice, nice
12: honor. How is your sweet, kind, glorious mayorship this lovely afternoon?
8: Mm. <laughs> Down, Conklin. What is it you want? Be brief.
12: I want to tell you something, something I think you should know. Yes? There's been a mutiny. The people have rebelled against your tyranny, and in a free election, a free democratic election, I have just been elected governor of this state!
8: Governor? Oh, no! Oh, no, they can't... they can't elect him, governor! Connie! Wake up, Connie! Huh? Hmm? What? Oh, oh. Oh, I'm so glad you woke me, Mrs. Davis. I was having a daymare about Mr. Conklin. (laughs) Oh, I thought I'd better wake you, Connie. This wire just came for you. Oh, let's see it. Well, it's from Mayor Mark's secretary. It says, "Dear Miss Brooks, can offer you important position in local firm. This job pays double the salary you receive as a school teacher. Please answer by return wire. Signed, Mrs. Ray Field." Why, Connie, that's wonderful. Are you going to accept it? No, Mrs. Davis. I'll have to turn it down.
13: Turn it down. But what's wrong with the position they're offering? It pays double
8: your salary as a school teacher. That's what's wrong with it. I can't afford to work that cheap.
11: <laughs> and now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks.
8: Well, my dream didn't come true, but Mrs. Ray Fields did. And if you want to know just how she felt, be sure and get the August 16th issue of Look Magazine, which reaches the newsstands August 2nd. Congratulations, Mrs. Thiel. And I'd like Mayor Richard J. Marks of Norwich, Connecticut, to know that I consider him a swell ex-boss, and I'd enjoy meeting him sometime. Good night. (laughs) week, turn
10: into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream
11: Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Gloria Blondell. (laughs) More mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs. Listen to Mr. and Mrs. North Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia
1: Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Sherlock Holmes, followed by Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.